Okay, 1 Samuel 17. Yeah, this is the most famous battle in all of the Old Testament. Of course, it's not against, it's not about two armies. It's about two individuals in the valley of Elah, David versus Goliath. Of course, Goliath was a Philistine, and this is not, as we've been, we've been going, if you're just visiting with us this morning or joining us online this morning, also welcome to you guys. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel, and this is not our first encounter with the Philistines. In fact, our first encounter with the Philistines goes all the way back to the book of Judges and the time of Samson. Uh, they were a group of people living in the land of Canaan, and God had ordered Israel to drive out all of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, including the Philistines. But the Philistines had proven themselves to be a, a mighty foe for the children of Israel. Uh, militarily, they were powerful. They were the most technologically advanced army of that time and in that region. But that wasn't the problem. It wasn't about military power and, and weaponry. The problem was this, as we've seen in our journey through Judges and 1 Samuel, was the disobedience of the children of Israel. That was at the root of their failure to drive out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, their failure to believe in the promises of God. Now, this story is interesting because if we were to go back and look at the account of Moses, who generations before sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, you know that story, remember that story? 12 spies go in to spy out the land, to uh, observe the inhabitants. One of the reports that they brought back to Moses was this, that there was giants in the land. They said, we felt like grasshoppers before some of the people that we saw. Well, in 1 Samuel 17, the people of God face a problem that literally is gigantic. It is this man. They faced a giant named Goliath. So let's check it out. This is a long chapter. So I'm gonna, we're going to try and bite it off in big chunks here this morning. But I want to read the whole thing because it is awesome. We love this story. Do you love this story? This is probably, this might be, you know, number one Old Testament story for me. Okay, here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Azkah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. They drew up, bat, up, up in line of battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Have you been to the Valley of Elah? Some of you have on our trips to Israel. I've been to the Valley of Elah. It's not a large valley. It probably is a kilometer and a half, not more than two kilometers on the valley floor, grassy field with a mountainside on either side, a hillside. And this creek bed that cuts through the middle of this valley, it's dry every time I've been there, but it does, you know, in seasonal times of rain flow with water still these days. And so in our mind's eye, we can picture this, this valley with armies on either end on the hillside and, and uh, they're encamped there and they're ready to do battle, to fight war down in the valley floor. But each day, as we read here, out from this Philistine camp would come this giant of the man. And this description is impressive, isn't it? Like you read this and you're like, wow. This author gives a lot of detail regarding this man. Like he wants us to know that this dude is like nothing Israel has ever faced before, ever. He's nine foot six inches tall. It's like, that is crazy. I, I was thinking back like uh, years ago, I, was, uh, I did children's ministry in Powell River. You know, one time we were doing the story of David and Goliath and I, I borrowed a, a pair of uh, drywaller stilts. And came into the room, and I could barely get through the door into the fellowship hall. I went down like this, and I couldn't stand in the hallway of the church as we were doing the, the story. I, and, and I wasn't even nine foot six on those stilts. Unbelievable. This is a giant of a man. His head is described, his chest, his arms, his legs, all covered in bronze. An ancient version of Iron Man, that's what I was thinking. He'd step out on the from the western slope of the valley. Imagine in the morning him coming down with the sun hitting him as he walked towards the children of Israel and all of that bronze shining in the rising sun. It would have lit him up as he strutted into that valley like a peacock, like the one over at the annex building there. Impressive, but not just impressive, terrifying. The staff of his spirit, says, was like a, a weaver's beam with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Isn't that incredible? 15 pounds. I don't even know how you fling that thing. He had a javelin slung over his shoulder. He had a sword in the sheath on his side and an armor bearer with a shield in front of him. And he would stand out in the valley each morning and each evening and he would cry out to the Israelite army, why are you dressed for battle? Choose one man and let him come down to me. And I mean, this guy, this guy is in the minds and the hearts of the children of Israel. He seemed impossible to defeat. He was arrogant. He was defiant. For 40 days, he came and he issued this challenge to the children of Israel. And in the days, it makes me think of in the days of Moses. Remember, he had sent those 12 spies into the land and they had come back and they had actually brought a bad report and discouraged the hearts of God's people. And as a result, the people refused to enter the promised land at the command of God. And not only that, the Lord said they couldn't enter. And the result was this, that they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. We know that story. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days. The writer of 1 Samuel wants us to make this connection. 40 years, 40 days, this is not a coincidence. 
the leader of Israel, King Saul, the Holy Spirit had departed from him. Spirit-led leadership in Israel was uh, gone. Israel was in a time of wilderness wandering. They're in a spiritual wilderness, a time of testing, and Goliath challenged them, send one man to fight me. He, he was willing to represent all the Philistines, and all he asked was this, that Israel pick one man, pick one man, one representative that will fight him in battle, an individual battle, and they will settle the issue. Israel just needed one man to settle the matter of this most serious threat that they faced. And I want to point this out because the significance should not be lost on us. One man to do the battle. Our greatest enemy, when we speak of our enemy, you know, Israel faced life. When we speak of the enemy that we face, sin, that brings death and judgment into our life, that sin, death and judgment follow sin, far too powerful an enemy for us to face. And we need one man to represent us. And Israel was led by a man, Saul, but he had forfeited through his disobedience the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had no spiritual authority. And thus the people were helpless. The whole nation had no spiritual authority. And they were filled with fear. But we read that a young man, David, comes on the scene. Let's check it out. Verse 12. Now David was the son of the Epaphrite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Aminadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. Now, when we talk about David, we know this. We saw this last week. David was already, had already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And David, at this point in time, was splitting his time between his father's household, looking after his father's sheep, and going and attending to King Saul, working in the court of Saul, being a... a a leader of music and worship and soothing the heart of Saul. And so he's journeying back and forth between the court of Saul and his father's house. And his father is going to send him with provisions for his brothers who are in Saul's army. And so we read in verse 17, And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an epaph of this parched grain and these 10 loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provision and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. 
So here's David. He's sent by his father to check on his brothers. He's got grain with him. He's got cheese for them. And, and David arrives on the scene. What we read here is he's coming to check on his brothers. The battle lines are just being drawn up for the day. The armies are gathering and drawing the battle line. And so I love this. We read this about David, that he left what he had with him with the keeper of the baggage, and he headed to the front line, the battle line. Remember Saul? Remember when Saul was anointed king, what he did with regards to baggage? He went and hid in the baggage. Saul went and hid amongst the baggage when Samuel was looking for him to avoid Samuel, to avoid being in front of the people, to, to you know, in some sort of false humility, hide from being chosen as king. But here we read this about David. David left the supplies that he was carrying with the keeper of the baggage, and he went right to the front line. I like this picture of David. He ran to the battle line to greet his brothers. And it's right at that time that Goliath came out to issue his challenge. Let's read on here. As he talked with them, Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. And he will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel." And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to, this, to the man who kills him. So amazingly, Saul is nowhere to be seen. We don't know where Saul is in this picture, in this scene, but during this whole time, David at the front line, here's, here's Goliath's challenge, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He recognizes this is a battle between the covenant people of God and those who are not in covenant with the Lord, and he asks about the reward for those, for the man who would defeat Goliath, and they tell him, the king will enrich that man. He'll make his house wealthy. He's promised that he will give, Saul will give his daughter in marriage, meaning that that to defeat Goliath meant this, that you would become part of the royal family in Israel. You'd be royalty. Your father's house would be exempt from taxes. Now, this is pretty, this is, wouldn't you like this? I don't know. I'm considering it myself. <laughs> exempt from taxes, you know, wife, riches. This is a pretty good deal. You would think dudes would be lining up, wouldn't you? Come on, single guys. You'd be lining up for this opportunity married to the king's daughter, free from tax and all this wealth. Pretty good deal. But fear had seized the hearts of the men. Fear had seized the hearts of God's covenant people. This reward meant nothing to them because they feared losing their life in battle. And so David, as he's clarifying this, because he's, he's doing the math in his head, hey, this is a pretty good deal. His eldest brother heard him asking about the rewards for the man who defeated the giant. Now, let's read what happens here. Verse 28. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? 
And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. So when Eliab, he hears, his, he hears his younger brother, his little brother David here, he gets wind of the questions. He rebukes David. And I, I have to think here that there's, you know, some, some bitterness, a little bit of animosity from the older brother who was passed over for his youngest brother to be anointed as king. And you hear this, it sounds like a lot of normal fam- family conflicts, doesn't it? Have you heard this in your house before? Well, now what have I said? Okay, now what have I done? Okay, can I even speak? But there's this holdover of animosity and bitterness from Eliab from being passed over. And it's, it's a picture here I want us to see. I'm going to start to point this out as we go through this text because Jesus was scorned by his own family. David is setting a pattern for us for something that we're going to see in the future. Jesus faced questions by those who grew up with him. Jesus, the scripture says, came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. But resistance, family resistance and friends resisting did not dissuade Jesus from being led by the Spirit. And David persisted. His brother questions him, and he goes on with his discussions, and news gets back to Saul. Check it out, 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now think about Saul. Saul was no giant, definitely no giant. But the scripture tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above every man in the land of Israel. If there was one physical specimen amongst the Israelites who could have taken on Goliath, who could have provided an option in this battle, it was Saul. But instead, it's a young man who offers himself as a servant to the king. He comes in humility. A shepherd boy standing before the tall king of Israel saying, King, don't lose heart. I mean, this, this is amazing drama. Don't lose heart. I will go and fight with him. You know, it's amazing. At the end of this chapter, after Goliath is defeated, Saul actually asks the commander of his army, army by the name of Abner. He says, Abner, who, whose son is that young man? And Abner doesn't know. And, you know, when we read this, we often wonder, you know, why is Saul asking this question like, Like if David has been in his service and he's been going back and forth, why is there this question as to the identity of David? It's not, you know, it's the text actually doesn't tell us that Saul doesn't recognize David. Saul is clarifying something. He said that he would give riches and give his daughter and make the household of uh, the man's uh, family tax-free in Israel. And so Saul is inquiring. When we, when we get to the end of this text, he's inquiring as to the identity of David, David and his family. But there's no suggestion to say that he doesn't recognize David. David has been in his service. And David steps up. 
He volunteers to be the man who will represent the people of God. He's anointed of the Spirit. He is going to be the true King of Israel. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. And, and if he is going to be the true King of Israel, then he has to face a time of testing. And as we've seen throughout the book of 1 Samuel here, Saul himself for us is a picture of what? The flesh. Saul is always illustrating for us the fleshly man. And the king of the flesh cannot take on the greatest enemy God's people have ever faced. We need a David. And David for us is a very clear picture of Christ Jesus. And so as David comes before Saul, understandably, Saul was skeptical. The flesh is skeptical to Jesus Christ. The flesh questions the reality of Christ's ability to save. Now, let's see what happens here. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But, say, but David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Don't you love this? Don't we love this about David, his victories over wild animals, the lion and the bear? Like, it's incredible. But the Lord's been preparing this young man. I want to read on. It says this in verse 38. And Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Man, I love this scene. This is incredible. You know, Saul trying to dress David in his armor and it not working out and it's too big. We, we all get the picture of the oversized armor. Wasn't used to it. Wasn't going to be able to fight in it. And so David did this. He chose the weapons of a shepherd. His staff, his pouch, we read. His sling. Placed five smooth stones in that pouch. We just... Picture in our minds David walking across that valley floor down into the riverbed, selecting five stones out of the, the creek bed there, and then climbing up the other side of the creek and approaching the Philistine. Not in Saul's armor, with a sling, the shepherd's crook. You know, the New Testament tells us this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, the same is true for us. We don't do battle in fleshly means. We don't trust the armor of the flesh. We battle in the spirit. We battle in prayer. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and present darkness and forces of evil. This is an amazing scene. This is an amazing scene. And David is approaching the Philistine and says this in verse 41, and the Philistine moved forward. He came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. See, this is a battle not just between David and Goliath, not just between Israel and the Philistines. This was a battle between the gods of the Philistines, the gods of this world, and Yahweh, the God of Israel. This was not just flesh and blood. That's what we read here. This was, had all the appearances of just flesh and blood, but it was not just a battle of flesh and blood. It was God's battling. Let's read on. We're going to read almost right through here. And then we'll draw some stuff out of it. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Man, I love this guy. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine arose and they came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out the stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone, man, it's like a missile. God ordained. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem, as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Man, this is a crazy scene, isn't it? It's just awesome. This battle, the heart of faith that we see in David, he says, you come at me, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And in this entire scene, Goliath represents the 
Philistines. David is representative of the Israelites. And more than them just representing their own peoples, this was a struggle between their gods, as both are mentioned, the gods of the Philistine and the Lord of hosts. And when David wins, the gods of the Philistines are on the run. David wanted this battle because the name of the Lord was being disparaged. And he was confident. We read this. I mean, you catch this, this heart of confidence because he saw the battle as a battle between the covenant people of God and those not in relationship with the Lord. He saw this battle as a battle between the God of Israel and the gods of this world. And when David won, he won because he represented Yahweh the living God. And when he won, the entire nation shared in the spoils of David's victory. The entire nation shared in the pursuit of the enemy as the Philistines fled. The entire people of Israel, the army, shared in the spoils of war. Now, here's the thing about this biblical story. You know, I love to place myself in a biblical story, don't you? To like get these pictures in my mind and the Valley of Elah and all these things and then say, Lord, where am I in this story? But I want something to be clear this morning. As I place us in the story, I want to tell you this. You and I are not David. Jesus is seen in David. You are not. I am not. See, you and I need someone to represent us, to save us from the giant of sin, someone who will represent us and win the victory for us over the enemy and then allow us to share in his victory. This is the gospel, isn't it? That Christ Jesus faced the greatest enemy humanity has ever known. Glass was a pipsqueak compared to what Jesus faced. And Jesus won. And you and I are the benefactors of Jesus' victory. We participate by faith in his victory. The enemy is on the run and we get to help pursue. We share in the spoils of Christ's victory. And we know this from the word of God that humanity's greatest problem, humanity's most serious problem, the giant that we can never defeat, the giant that we can never take down on our own, the problem that is at the root of all problems, the problem that is at the root of our alienation from our maker is our own sin and disobedience. And like Israel... There's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do. Outside of David, outside of Christ, we're paralyzed in fear and in shame. There's nothing we can do for ourselves, and we face judgment. The sword is coming. And like Israel, we need someone to represent us and fight for us and fight the giant that is too great for us. And that person, that man, is the man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in the minds, in the minds of all who saw him and all who uh, witnessed what he did, those who 
saw him, they, at first glance, they said this, no, 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 he's too unlikely to represent us. They questioned the identity of his father. They said, you're illegitimate. Jesus was opposed by his brothers and he was abandoned by his friends. Like the army of Israel, you and I stood on the sidelines and we watched as Jesus went out to battle. Goliath said, you come at me as sticks. I'll tell you what, Jesus did. He carried a cross on his back. And Jesus was the only one like David who truly believed in the promises of God and he went to battle on our behalf. Amen? He ran to the battle line. Total confidence in God. And Jesus won the victory on our behalf despite of the fact that we were living in disobedience. We were living in shame. We were living in fear. We were living in sin and under its judgment. And church, what we need to know is this, is that what we see in the valley of Elah is a miniature version of what Jesus Christ did for us. David cut off that giant's head. And the Philistines, they're on the run. Israel chasing them and plundering them. And we question, we say, well, Lord, who am I in the story? Who am I? And I want to tell you this, church, we have to mature beyond our Sunday school understanding of the interpretation of this story, which is you can be David and face giants yourself and get victory. Get lost, man. I can't. We can't. We're not David. The victory is the Lord's. And the message of 1 Samuel 17 is not that we're called to be like David. That's not the call of 1 Samuel 17. The message of 1 Samuel 17 is this. Church, we have a David. We have a David. Jesus is our David. He went in for us. He fought the battle for us. And the message of the Bible is never this, that you're called to save the world and you're called to face giants. It's this message. We have a Savior. We have a King. Jesus is our David. You want to know who I am in this story, who you are? I'm Eliab. <laughs> who did not trust his older brother or his younger brother to save him. We are Israel, taunted by the enemy and feeling powerless to do anything. And David put a rock in his sling and zing, it was over and the enemy was on the run. And Jesus went into battle and he was nailed to a cross. He appeared weak. The enemy taunted him. The enemy thought that he had the sure victory at the cross. But Jesus had been tested in the wilderness for 40 days. He had been tempted by the devil. He shared in the wilderness wandering of Israel and the taunting of the enemy just like you. He knew the power of temptation, but Jesus overcame. He overcame the devil, he overcame temptation, and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He entrusted himself to God and he obediently went to the battle line. And at the cross... The enemy said, who are you coming at me with your sticks, your cross? The enemy thought he was victorious, but it was Jesus' victory. Church, Jesus is alive. The enemy is defeated. 
And Jesus is our David. This is the story of 1 Samuel 17. Jesus is our David. I don't need to be my own David. We don't need to be our own Christ. By faith, we share in the victory of Jesus. By faith, we have received anointing from the Holy Spirit to proclaim this, that Jesus Christ is victorious. This morning, let me encourage you. As David said, Jesus says, let no one lose heart. Let no one lose heart, David said to Saul. I'll take him on. Jesus would say the same to us. Jesus defeated the giant of sin. Jesus defeated the, the giant of death. You don't need to face your Goliath because I'll tell you this, you cannot win. But Jesus did. And you share in his victory. Jesus was judged in our place. Jesus defeated the devil. And the enemy is on the run. Isn't this awesome? We actually get to pursue with Jesus the enemy. You know, we, we, the enemy tricks us. He, 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 he twists the truth and makes us think that we're on our heels, but he's the one on his heels running. And we live in the blessing of Jesus' victory. We share in the victory of Christ, but the reality is this. Our lives are totally dependent on our David, on our identification with the king, upon our identification with the son of David, King Jesus. I love this, that David was sent by his father to the battleground. And God sent his one and only son. That whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The father in heaven sent Jesus. Now let's read through here to the end of the chapter. It says this. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, Whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. What a picture. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I love that what David's actions invoke are this, an inquiry to who his father is. Who is your father? Tell me your father's name. I need to know about his household. Jesus' action for us is the same, church. When we see the action of Jesus and we recognize that he has defeated the giant of sin on our behalf, his actions must lead us to the Father. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, I, I'm glad you're here with us this morning and that we could spend this time together. I'm glad we, that you're with us online this morning. I just want to say this to us. Christ has to lead us to the Father. If you don't know your Father in heaven, I want you to know this this morning, that he has sent his son Jesus to free you, to lead you out of sin and shame and fear 
to defeat the giants in your life and to bring you into a personal relationship with himself so that you can know his father, so that you can be adopted into his family. And the word of God just simply tells us this, that if we'll put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we'll believe in his defeat of Goliath, if we'll believe in the work of the cross that he went to the cross on our behalf, died in our place, and that God raised him from the dead, if we'll believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth, mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word of God says we will be saved. We'll come to know his father. And so the, the thrust of this story this morning for us is this. Church, don't forget, Jesus is our David. What's your giant? What are you fighting? What are you battling? The sin, the temptation, the struggles, the fear, the shame. Let's bring it to Christ. Let's bring it to Jesus. Let's pray. Worship team, I'm going to invite you guys up here. Would you stand with me as they're coming? Let's stand and we'll pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we just say this to you this morning, Jesus, you're my David. You're my David. And Jesus, we hope in you. We put our trust in you. Jesus, this morning we put our faith in you. We, we look to you, Jesus, for our victory. Jesus, because you're victorious, we thank you that we share in your victory. We thank you, Jesus, that we've come to know the Father because of what you've done for us. And so, Jesus, we bring to you the giants of our lives this morning. Lord, you know what each individual is facing, what struggle they're in. And Lord, we just uh, confess our fear in the midst of that. We confess the shame of failure. We confess, Lord, that we don't know what to do. God, in the midst of this life and some of the things that we're battling, we cower. And so this morning with the heart of faith, Jesus, we, we bring it to you. We look to you and we say, Jesus, we thank you that the enemy's on the run. We thank you, Jesus, that we share in your victory. We thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sin through the blood of Christ. We thank you, Jesus, that you have defeated the giants in our place. And Lord, we look to you. And so we bring that thing, whatever it is, Lord, on our heart this morning, and we say, Jesus, would you bring victory in this area of our hearts and in our lives? We thank you for salvation this morning. We thank you for our Father in heaven. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.